Uh, hi again, everybody, and welcome to Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am one of the grumpy guys, Dan Scott. In fact, I'll be the only one of the grumpy bunch with you here today. This will be episode eight of our brand new venture. Hope you're enjoying it. We have had an all-star guest lineup each of the last three weeks, and we are continuing with that this week. In the last three episodes in succession, it has been Jason Whitlock, Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman, and last time out, the very, very fine, talented, and funny voice of the Seattle Mariners on television, Dave Sims. Today... We're going to go inside the world of pitching from both a collegiate and a Major League Baseball experience with Furman University head coach Brad Harker, his pitching coach Caleb Davis, and an advisor they have who just happens to be a guy named Leo Mazzoni, who ESPN voted the single best assistant coach in all of Major League Baseball history. He was the pitching coach for all of those great Atlanta Braves teams and the big three of Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. And Leo Mazzoni serves in an advisory capacity for Brett Harker with the Furman Paladins. So what we've got here is something that actually took place earlier this week. On Tuesdays during this time of the pandemic shutdown over the coronavirus, Furman University has tried to get creative in ways it's engaging its fans, and they've come up with this thing that they do every Tuesday, we do every Tuesday, called Lunch and Learn, and there's a different guest. I moderate it. I ask questions of the guests. We've had the football coach on. We've had the athletic director on. We are are going to have for Mother's Day a, a panel of women's coaches who are all juggling motherhood and being a Division I head coach. Well, this particular episode of Lunch and Learn was devoted to baseball and specifically devoted to the art of pitching at the collegiate and the Major League Baseball levels. Now, Brett Harker and Caleb Davis, as I mentioned, are the two coaches at Furman, head coach and pitching coach, who are mostly involved here. We hear from Taylor Harbin at the end. But make no mistake about it. The star of this Zoom encounter that you're going to hear is Leo Mazzoni, and that's the way it was set up to be. So you're going to hear Leo tell some stories. He's going to be very opinionated on things. It is a great hour of baseball talk. It will give you some insight into how college baseball coaches, especially at Furman's level, go about their craft in recruiting and bringing in and developing players but you're not going to want to miss Leo. Leo just tells stories. He is as engaging and as funny and as opinionated as you might expect someone with his background to be. So that's coming up here after I remind you of a couple of things. Number one, we are sponsored by our good friends at Todaro Pizza here in the upstate of South Carolina where this podcast generates. They are uh, at... 116 North Markley Street in Greenville and on Sloan Street in Clemson. And like everybody else with the pandemic, they have shut down inside dining, but the Markley Street location is still doing delivery and pickup. And I promise you, well, number one, if you're from the area, you know about Todaro Pizza. But if you're not from this area, when all this lifts and we get back to some sense of normality, you need to make Todaro Pizza one of your food bucket lists when you come to our area. You can check out the website, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O, pizza.com, and find out everything they're doing now. Check out the menu. You are absolutely going to love it. We appreciate what they do on a weekly basis to help us with this podcast. And then I'll just remind you, if you have any questions or comments, uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, The best way to do it would be uh, through my uh, website email, through my show email, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. We'll be back to remind you about that at the end of the podcast, but right now, let's not waste any time. This is an hour-long Zoom meeting called Lunch and Learn from Furman University with Brett Harker, the baseball coach, his pitching coach, Caleb Davis, and the star of the show, 
former Braves pitching coach, Leo Mazzoni. Check it out. I'm doing great, Dan. I, I really appreciate you guys having this. And, um, you know, I woke up for the first time in about 46 days a little excited for something. It kind of felt like a game day getting to hang out with my coaching staff and, and Leo. And, Leo, if you can hear me, brother, I thank you so much for doing this. Uh, what you've done for our program, it's just it's been awesome. And for you to reach out and do something like this, I got to tell you, Leo's out of his comfort zone right here. Uh, Zoom meeting is not exactly where Leo's sweet spot. So uh, I told I'm Coach Davis, <laughs> he doesn't like texting. So we're going to have to do some, some test runs on the Zoom meeting. But uh, but he's, uh, he's here, and I appreciate it. And I think it's going to be a, a fun time to get a peek into Furman baseball. And uh, I decided to make a little twist on it. Instead of you hearing me talk for 45 minutes, we can – have Coach Davis and, and, of course, Leo to kind of dive a little deeper into maybe the pitching side of it and let you know what we're looking to build our program around. And more than anything, let our fans and, and uh, Furman University get to experience some of Leo. I feel like we, we hog him, and uh, we're so fortunate that he happens to live near us and, and spends time with this program. I thought it would be a really fun event for, for our friends and family to get to experience him as well. Thank you, Brett. Uh, Caleb Davis, the pitching coach we mentioned, is with us, and it was his relationship with Leo Mazzoni that brought him into the program. I need to point out here that uh, Leo does not help coach the players. He is an advisor. Basically, he helps Brett, Caleb, Taylor Harbin, and Andrew Cox uh, advises them on how to coach the player, but Leo does not do any coaching himself. He is strictly in an advisory capacity. Caleb, I, I promised Taylor Harbin that I would mention that he is 4-0 as the interim pitching coach when, when, when you have been away from the team. So I got that out of the way. Why don't yeah, you tell us about how the relationship with uh, Leo came around and, and then we'll get uh, some opening comments from him. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, back in, I guess it was 2000. 16 summer of 2016 I was still the pitching coach at Anderson University and uh, you know we do a big big golf tournament fundraising golf tournament every year uh, over at Katichi in Hartwell Georgia and uh, you know our athletic director got us all together all the coaches all the coaches get to work it um, you know and most of the time uh, I end up getting to play it because you know there'll always be a team with a player or two out and uh, that was the same case that, that year. And I'd found out that Leo was going to be, you know, of course, our celebrity guest. And, um, you know, I had been asked probably two or three days before if I could play. And I went to our athletic director um, and, I, and I said, man, listen, you know, you, you know, I love to play golf. So, so this should tell you how important this is to me. I, I'd rather not play, get on a golf cart and, and uh, hang out with Leo all day and, and get him whatever he needs. And I showed up you know, with, with pen and paper, I think I ended up taking about four pages of notes. And, uh, you know, man, we just spent four hours on a golf course and, and taught pitching, taught baseball of, of all kinds. And uh, we exchanged phone numbers. And, you know, one thing led to another. And my wife and my wife and I are, are hanging out watching the All-Star game a month later at his house, talking more pitching, talking more baseball. You know, and, and here I am, you know, with the opportunity to talk about, the thing I love most with the guy who I believe is, is probably uh, the greatest that our sport has ever seen at the, at the subject of pitching. And, uh, you know, he's 15 minutes down the road from me. So, you know, it would be very foolish of me to not take advantage of that opportunity. And, and I did. And, uh, you know, here we are fast forward, um, you know, four years later and, you know, I've still got a long ways to go and a lot more information to learn, but, but Leo has been obviously extremely gracious with his time and his, and his knowledge. And uh, I've only learned a fraction of what he has to offer. So I'm, I'm thrilled to death and excited to learn as much as I can moving forward. Leo Mazzoni was voted by ESPN, the uh, best assistant coach in the history of major league baseball. And Leo, you didn't know what that, uh, that golf outing was going to get you into four years later, did you? No, no, I didn't, but it turned out real good. And, uh, and the reason uh, uh, I, I was always looking for somebody to hand my, my information down to, and just like Johnny saying he handed his down to me, uh, and I found the right person in Caleb. And then when he came to Furman and Coach Harker was the head coach and I got to meet with those guys, 
that made they made more had more common sense than any college program or some professional programs I've ever been around. And the reason why I wanted to be associated with them was because of how they coach the game and how they coach the kids and how they treat people and uh, the knowledge and everything. And then Coach Harker was he pitched up through AAA, so he has that professional background besides the collegiate background. But the thing that I liked the most was both of those guys have common sense when it comes to coaching baseball. And some of the theories and some of the things I'm hearing now uh, just boggles my mind. So one of the reasons why we hooked up was they they believe in the same things I did, really. I mean, we weren't really we weren't far apart at all. So just a few tips here and there is all I do. <laughs> well, what we're going to do is obviously open it up for questions. If you would uh, send your questions to me in the group chat, you can send them to me privately. Uh, for any of our panelists today, we expect that there will be quite a few for Leo Mazzoni. Uh, but uh, as we're waiting on some questions to come in, I'll go back to head coach Brett Harker. Uh, how valuable a tool ha has having Leo Mazzoni as your advisor been for you since you've been the head coach here? So I'll tell you, it's incredible. And, and one of the really interesting things, you know, I got drafted out of College of Charleston in 2005. And, and honestly, I never had a season where I was an all-star or anything like that. And one off-season, I came back to Greenville. And uh, through a connection with John Smoltz, a, a company John Smoltz owned, I ended up hooking up with a guy named Darren Holmes. And uh, Darren Holmes uh, was pitched, won a World Series with the Yankees and had pitched with the Braves for a while, well, uh, was, had a tremendous influence by Leo. Well, Darren Holmes hooked up with me. He's now the pitching coach at Baltimore. And uh, he taught me so much in one offseason and completely changed my delivery and and the thought process on everything I was doing on the mound. Well, I ended up taking it into that season, and that was the first time I was ever an all-star as a professional. I shot up the double-A and, and had all my success. So I really started basing everything that I would teach pitching off from that point on on stuff that I learned from Darren Holmes. Well, come to find out, all that stuff was really based off of Leo Mazzoni. So then you fast-forward 15 years later, and me and Leo Mazzoni are in stacks having lunch after Caleb introduced us and we're bouncing stuff off each other and we're, we're speaking the same exact language. And it's funny how stuff like that works. You know, when Leo was, was working with Darren, never do, do you expect that to pass along to me and then we meet back up. So it's a really cool story how that all took place. And, and to have him, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of times our guys don't realize how big of a deal it is to have him around and uh, what, how special that is. I remember one time, you know, before that dinner we had, um, fundraising dinner. I'm hanging out with Leo Mazzoni and Tom Glavin, and and I pinched myself and I said, an 11 year old Brett Harker would have never believed this. You know, those are the people I looked up to on PBS, watching them eating dinner uh, in my pajamas as a little kid, and now I'm getting to hang out with these guys, and it's incredibly special. I think it's an incredible resource for our players, and really cool for Furman University to have an affiliation with him for sure. Thank you, Brett. We're starting to get a couple of questions coming in, and probably the one that's on everybody's mind. Leo, Cat uh, wants you to talk about what it was like coaching Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, and maybe one or two of your favorite memories from that time frame. Well, I, I think that you know, when you when you coached Maddox, you had to have your uh, uh, X's and O's all together. When you coached Smoltz, you had to have a lighter presentation. Uh, with what you were trying to get across because he was very, very emotional. And then with Tom Glavin, he was such a strong-minded individual that you could uh, be a little more firm with your presentation as to what points you were trying to get across. But what they did, the, the consistency of what they did every day, from the time we started our throwing programs in Atlanta prior to spring training till spring training, April, May, June, July, all the way through the World Series, nothing changed. The routine never changed. You know, you hear now, well, we're going to get back this guy down. We're going to back this guy down. We did not back nobody down the entire that entire run. And those guys pitched for 20 years. But the bottom line is their routine stayed the same from February 8th until however far we took us to the World Series. And, and, and what it was is that routine consisted of a lot of throwing off of the mound, but not maxing out their effort. And that's one of the keys that – uh, Coach Harker and, and Coach Davies and I have talked about so much is controlling the effort to stay healthy. That way you can get on the mound more and practice your craft. So 
that basically was it. Now they're, the stories that go behind it, uh, for example, Glavin in that one to nothing win uh, against Cleveland to win the World Series, he came in in the fifth inning and said, "Would somebody score a run? Because they're not." Uh, <laughs> we looked. Around, I looked at Bobby Cox and and uh, Bobby said, "Did you hear that, Leo?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "We need to score a run, Bobby. Let's go." You know, and you know things like this. Or, or Maddox want me to come out and visit him in the mound because he said he gets lonely out there, and he was so good in his streak that I'd never went out for four starts in a row. And he said, come on out. He goes, it gets lo- I'm lo- it's lonely out here. I don't want to talk to Chipper. I don't want to talk to the umpire. He said, Nettie Perez don't understand what I'm saying. So come on out and pay me a visit. So, you know, those kind of stories. The mound visits were never strategical, pretty much so. It, you know, if it was strategical, Bobby Cox, the manager, went to the mound. My mound visit was to find out a fatigue factor, a confidence factor, and read the individual. And as you guys know, we all have a degree in psychology, and I never went to college. But making your adjustment on your approaches to each individual and your presentation to them means a lot. So it was just a consistent thing that went on for 10 years. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned psychology, Leo, because uh, I I talk to Brett all the time, sometimes in our pregame shows, about how he has to be at this level, an amateur psychologist. And I think most college head coaches do. I've mentioned it with Clay Hendricks. I've mentioned it with Bob Ritchie. You, you, you have to be something of an amateur psychologist. And I think it's interesting. You had three very strong-willed guys. You mentioned there in Maddox, Slavin, and Smoltz, who had three vastly different personalities. How long did it take you to figure out those personalities and how you would attack each one of them? Well, it didn't take it didn't take long at all, to be honest with you. You know, it's uh, 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 it doesn't take long with you know Smoltzy when we first got together. He, you know, he was very he was so mechanically obsessed as opposed to just being his natural self. Uh, with Glavin, Tom Glavin was very mature when he signed, and with Greg Maddox, he was he was the smartest individual I've ever met in my life. But they all had one thing in common, guys, when they were pitching. They all told me it's amazing how smart you can be when you have the command of a fastball. And so, and that's what they did, and that's what we practiced on 80% of the time. There was nothing more that we felt to pitching than those three great pitchers commanding a fastball and changing speeds. That was our goal. And if we had two pitches going, we were going to win. If we had three going, we were going to throw a shutout. And if we got narrowed down to one, we were going to lose. But once again, they all had that common work ethic. But, you know, and, and, a, and a great sense of humor. I mean, they had – Glavin didn't laugh as much or be as loud, but he had a, he was, he had a great sense of humor. Maddox's sense of humor is off the charts, something we can't even talk about much. And Smoltzy was just – he was laughing all the time. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it was a privilege to be their coach for a long time. But it doesn't take long to get to know somebody. And Bobby Cox told me when I was, became a major league coach, he said, I don't care what you do, Leo – Get to know your pitchers, spend all your time with the pitchers, and take care of them. Brett and, and Caleb, I'll give both of you an opportunity to, to interject here. He talked about the, the best pitch is being able to command the fastball. It seems like I've heard that somewhere before uh, in our talks uh, with the Furman pitching staff. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if, if you just listen to the names of the pitches, everything is based off a of fastball, a yeah, changeup. You're basing that changing it off of a fastball a curveball curving relative to a fastball that goes straight. If you can't command a fastball in and out, um, it's all kind of irrelevant. And I'll tell you, you know, Leo just kind of hit on it very briefly, but uh, one of the big things in our program is how much we get off the mound. And it's something that's just not done much anywhere in college baseball. And it's because everybody wants to throw as hard as they can, max effort, uh, and it, it'd be equivalent to doing a max out on a bench press or a squat. If you do that, you're going to have a soreness factor. You're not going to be able to do that exercise again for four or five days. And, and kids nowadays want to get on the mound once a week and throw it as hard as they can, and they physically can't get back on the mound. When our whole theory is we want you to be the most comfortable at 60 feet, 6 inches, throwing downhill. And the only way to do that is for most of your throwing to be done at 60 feet, six inches downhill. And in order to do that, Coach Davis and I need to really regulate your effort. And we need to be the guys on top of you to make sure you're not throwing it too hard um, where you're going to build up the soreness. You know, unlike 
Coach King, uh, you know, his pitchers can sit there. You'll watch. They'll have a softball pitcher that'll, you know, they can pitch two or three games in one day. It's just it's not the case in baseball. You're not meant to throw overhand as much as we do. And uh, the way that we can combat that is that we back you off with your velocity so that we can get you on the mound more so that when the guy's up there in the seventh inning and he needs to throw a big-time pitch, um, that's where he's most comfortable. And, you know, Coach Davis says it all the time. Um, you know, if you're a hitter, you're going to hit every single day. But then they ask you to be a pitcher and you get off the mound once a week. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And that's something that we've incorporated into our program. We think it uh, really plays a huge part in our development. And, Caleb, maybe talk about how – foreign that is to freshmen who come into your program and how long it takes them to adapt to that philosophy. Yeah, I think I mentioned this to you a little bit uh, on our interview last week in the sense that, you know, talking about this year and our excitement for this year and how excited I was because this was you know, my fourth full year. And so these seniors that were once freshmen have been through this program for four years. And now it's kind of, it's who we are. It's what we do. My first year it was tough because you're teaching a whole different philosophy to 15 to 18 guys and now I can teach it to just three to four and uh, and so yeah for freshmen and, and I think coming in we have a pretty good idea the guys are going to pick it up right away um, we have a freshman on team right now Gavin Scott that you know we talked with, with Leo about before he even got here we talked with Coach Harker about and obviously we said listen this kid's going to pick it up day one and then we've got a freshman in Dominic Pianto that's more max effort that's more you know all out every time and he's going to be somebody that, that's going to he's still getting it you know, and we've, we've got some juniors that are still trying to figure it out. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I think our guys are bought into what we're doing because of the success that we've had with some of our guys and also the background that Leo brings. And, you know, what what his guys were able to accomplish with the fastball, you know, makes our guys feel like they can do it. All right, if those guys were able to do it at the biggest level in the game, our guys can do it at our level. And, you know, there's, there's been a lot of different things that, that Leo has taught us that have helped cue our guys to, to, to really be able to locate the fastball. And, you know, Leo will talk, probably talk about it. And, you know, everybody that knows Leo or anything about the Braves pitching staff, so everybody will say, well, man, they, they, were, they pounded the down and away strike. And, you know, that's where we start. Every bullpen we start down and away. And, and one thing that, that Leo, you know, brought to me that, that I never really even thought about um, before I met Leo, was we can work on the down and away strike when we're just playing catch, flat-footed in right field. And uh, he has a saying, hey, would you miss on the other side of his body all the time? He says that all the time. Make sure pitchers, you know, really get good extension, miss on the other side of the body. It's from the time you're five years old, you're taught to hit your partner in the chest or arm side, and it's just – it ends up being a lazy rep. So our guys are working on their fastball command, uh, hitting the down and away strike, you know, 100% of the time they have a baseball in their hand, and the – the thing that Leo always says, hard away, sneaky, quick in. So our guys that have been able to pitch in too, um, and that's kind of our philosophy, locate the fastball, work off of it, hard away, sneaky, quick in with a ton of efficiency and, and have a lot of success. Leo, you mentioned what you learned from Johnny Sane, uh, and, and he was in an era when pitchers threw a lot, obviously. By the time you came along as, as the Braves pitching coach, your philosophy of throwing that much between starts was almost revolutionary because it had been purged from the game. Was it hard to get big league pitchers on board initially with that philosophy? No, I, I don't think so. I think it, what, what, what happened was, you know, Johnny Sane came up in a four-man rotation, and a lot of the years that I pitched in the minor leagues, I was in a four-man rotation. And I always felt you stayed sharper in a four. And the baseball world said you stayed healthier in a five. So when they went to the five-man rotation, that was to give a pitcher an extra day's rest. And my thought process was, well, I would rather have him get on the mound again. And I did it uh, on my own because Hank Aaron was my boss for 12 years, and he says, there's your pitchers, take care of them. He wasn't telling me how to do it. <laughs> so I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm either going to revolutionize this thing or I'm going down to the, you know what. And so anyway, uh, uh, all the guys love doing it. They love getting off on the mound and practicing their craft. But the one thing saying burnt in my brain, and you always remember, more often, less exertion, more often, less exertion. That means you can throw a lot more in between starts. But if you're going down there and airmail it and try to jack it up, then you're not going to be able to. And 
in doing that, all the pitchers started loving it. And then I started having a reputation of nobody getting any sore arms. So basically to get to the big leagues when I was coaching, you had to have that type of, of background where your pitching staffs in the minor leagues were not breaking down. And we did not break down. So then when Bobby Cox took over as the general manager, he said he was going to turn an offensive-oriented organization into a pitching one who's going to take care of it. So naturally, I took the lead on that. And there was other pitching coaches that disagreed. They said that our pitchers wouldn't have nothing left in August. And I so I, I interrupted the, the other pitching coaches, and I said, well, what do you do if I have them on the mound that extra day? They said, well, we have flat-footed throwing in the outfield. I said, why don't you explain the difference then to me, to, to me of flat-footed throwing in the outfield instead of going 60 feet, six inches downhill on the mound? He said, they said that's, they'll have a tendency to throw too hard. I said, that's what they pay you for to regulate the effort. And so then they sat down, and, after, and then a couple of the other minor league managers said, Leo Staffs always, always make, go to the post when it's their turn. That was always our saying, go to the post when it's your turn and the rest will take care of itself. So then when Bobby became down the big, uh, on the field as a manager, he brought me with him. We incorporated that same program that I'd been using in A-ball, double-A, and triple-A. And we only went 537 starts before we missed one. <laughs> That's all. That's all. <laughs> Leo, Dave, David Ellison wants to know how you got into professional baseball. What's that story? Well, I signed out of high school with the San Francisco Giants. I had a scholarship to West Virginia University, but I didn't want to go to college. And I signed out of high school with the Giants. So the first time my, uh, my dad put me on a plane in Pittsburgh, and the first time I went away from home was 3,000 miles from Western Maryland, West Virginia, Pennsylvania area, and went up to pitch in the Northwest League. And I ended up pitching 10 years in the minors. And one year when I was 19 or 19, I had like 15 wins and – 18 complete games. My, my rookie year, I was six and six. I was supposed to go to the rookie league, and I made class A starting rotation. Got to the big league camp with the world champion Oakland A's. Pitched through AAA, pitched in Mexico. And after 10 years, Sid Thrift was the farm director of the Oakland A's, and you'll like this story, guys. He goes up to me and says, in spring training, he goes, Leo, we think you're coaching material. I said, yes, yeah, Sid, so do I. I'm thinking about doing that down the road. He goes, Leo. We think you're coaching material. He meant, he meant now. <laughs> so that's when I was told that I wasn't going to get to the big leagues as a as a as a pitcher after pitching ten years, but that I had a real good chance to get there as a coach. So they set me up with my first coaching job or managing job down in Texas, and went from there. You were on that road already and didn't even realize. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, not later. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, for Coach Brett Harker from Matt, Matt wants to know how the staff is handling recruiting during the shutdown that we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it, it is not ideal. We, we need to be seeing these arms and seeing these players, but it is what it is, and, and everybody's in the same situation. So we're doing our Zoom meetings. We're trying to get to know kids and build relationships with them and their family. Um, you know, a large part of what we do is we, we don't over-recruit, and that is also rare in college baseball. Uh, for those of you that don't know, college baseball has a 35-man uh, roster limit. And so when you, when you start seeing these Power 5 schools and stuff committing uh, 18 to 20 kids per class, that some quick math tells you that this doesn't add up, that, that they're getting rid of a lot of kids every year. And that's just not the way that we do it. We bring in kids. Uh, we bring in what we need per year. That's usually ends up being about eight to 10 per class. And when we bring them in, uh, they're going to graduate from firm and they're going to do that on time. So in order to do that, that means we, we can't have misses like, like other schools can. If other schools, a third of their recruits end up uh, being producers and helping them, then they still win. For us, we need every kid to produce for us. And that means we got to know that they're going to work hard. We, we know that uh, they're talented, but how much, work ethic and how much are they coachable to get better uh, we need to know that their family's in it uh, you know what's going up on paladin porch can be just as impactful onto our program as what's happening on the field uh, in order to do that we got to get to know them so uh, whenever we do a zoom meeting i ask that the parents are there i want my entire coaching staff there we end up uh, truly getting to know them and it's funny with this uh, with this pandemic going on you end up 
uh, working even harder to get to know people and, and conversating with them over Zoom. And it, we're trying to use it to our advantage like anything else. We take an obstacle and try to use it to our advantage. And hopefully once this all opens up, we can get them on campus. Obviously, the campus sells itself and our facilities and all that. But right now, we want to make sure that we're getting the right people on campus because that's such a big deal in our recruiting scheme. Caleb, taking uh, and this question, by the way, is from Logan. Uh, taking the, the base of knowledge, access to coaching that's available at Furman, how do you convey that to a recruit and get them to buy into the value of the experience uh, and, and, and total value of a Furman education? Yeah, you know, for us, I, I think that's actually pretty easy. Um, in a day right now where all guys can do is sit at home and do research and be on computers or whether it's Zoom or just on our athletic website or our Furman website, um, you know, I, I really think that part of it is pretty easy in the sense of selling our degree and, and what we're able to, to offer guys uh, from an academic standpoint. And then what we're able to offer guys from an athletic standpoint, specifically pitchers. I think um, Coach Harbin and myself have been on the road a lot the last four years. And I think we've done a really good job uh, with bringing in arms. Um, and, and you look at some of the guys that we've brought in, for example, this past year, Stone Simmons was a, our Friday night starter as a true freshman. A uh, guy out of Houston, Texas, um, that, you know, I don't necessarily know that's as much a pat on our back or a knock on everybody else that didn't give him more opportunity, but the kid's as good as I think we're ever going to coach. And a lot of that has to do, again, back credit to Leo in the sense of, you know, Leo's done so much for me as a coach, not just on how to teach the guys we have now, but how to look at high school kids and say, this kid can have success because he does this, this, and this. And so our recruiting from a pitching side of things has only gotten better and will only continue to get better. And as Coach Harker said, with, the, with you know, the pandemic going on and, and the you know, stay at home and our campus being closed and kids not having an opportunity to get on campus, it, it kind of forces our hand a little bit more to, to get to know them even more, which I think will help us in the end because there aren't many campuses that are going to go toe-to-toe with ours across the country. And I, I don't really care where you are. Uh, east coast to west coast, north south, our, code, our our campus stacks up with any of them. So if we can get these guys on campus, you know, during, after this time is over with the knowledge that they're going to know and the relationship that we're going to have with them before they get here, you know, I, I think this really helps us. Um, where some places it may hurt, I think this really helps because our, our degree is, is, you know, you, it's really tough to compete with what we're able to offer from a degree standpoint. And then, especially if you're a pitcher, I mean, you talk about Coach Harker mentioned our recruiting sizes and not over-recruiting and throwing out some numbers. I mean, we really only bring in about three to five arms in a class. So if I'm talking to you, that means we have a ton of interest in you because you're one of three, one of four, one of five. We tell guys all the time, you know, we don't bring in any plan Bs or plan Cs or plan Ds. We bring in all plan As. Um, you know, freshmen ask a lot about playing time or high school recruits ask a lot about, well, how often do your freshmen play? And it's just very simple for us. If you don't play, we're not any good. And it's that simple. So that sends a message right away that we expect our guys to play when they get on campus. So all that kind of stuff helps just because, you know, we, we back ourselves intentionally up against the wall with our incoming classes because we want those guys to come here. Uh, we want the top of the line talent. We want to bring them in. We want to develop them. And from a pitching side of things, when we're able to recruit and bring in three to four guys, and the rate, by the way, the reason we're able to do that, and the biggest thing that attracted me to Leo, aside from all his stuff, is like he said, that big streak of his guys being able to go that many starts without injury, that's the biggest thing for me. My first five years of coaching, man, it felt like guys were getting hurt left and right, and I didn't know what to do. And ever since I, I came along with Leo and he's mentored me and coached me, our guys just stay healthy. And that's a big thing to, to high school parents. They think that's a huge deal. When you're talking to, you know, a set of parents about their 16-year-old son, and the first thing you bring out of your mouth is our number one goal is arm health. They're pumped. And so all that stuff kind of ties into the way that we recruit. And so really this time and getting a chance to sit on these Zoom calls with parents and, and their son and for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, and just answer questions and talk and give information. Um, 
it's we've done this at 10 o'clock in the morning with some because parents are working from home we just have more opportunity to develop relationship not only with the kid but with their parents as well before we move on to some more questions we have a poll that ty osborne is going to put up um and i believe the question is which of leo's cy young award winners would you choose to pitch one game that you had to end it had to win rather tom glavin greg maddox or john smoltz we will uh, get the results of that poll at the end of the zoom meeting and maybe even ask leo uh to answer that question a little bit later on uh leo Patrick wants to know how you handle the emotions of a struggling pitcher. He said it seems to be relatable to handling a, a goalie or a golfer or even a, a tennis player. How do you handle those emotions? Well, I, I think, number one, that, you, you know, I always felt that you, uh, you pushed harder when you were going good. When you're going good, you can push a guy harder and, and, and try to get him even better. When they're not going well, they need your support. And uh, so, therefore, uh, it's not the time to holler and carry on or start raising cane or this or that. What you're trying to do is figure out a problem, and this kid, the kid's already upset. I, you, can, you can relate this to high school, college, professional guys. I had to go through it with Mike Hampton, a left-handed pitcher who was miserable and, and lost all his confidence uh, because of getting beat up in Colorado when he was a great pitcher with the Mets, with the New York Mets. And so, therefore, you know, your approach has to be one of support. You know, and, 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 and figure out the problem. I mean, uh, it could be mental. It could be a physical thing. But whatever it is, I tried to make it a very small adjustment, whether it was mental or, and, and downplay it. Another thing that I learned was, say a guy's having control tr tr trouble, you know, and you, the last thing you would want to do when you go to the mound is say, look, you got to throw strikes. He's going to look at you and go, you know what, you know. And so what, what I was taught by uh, some, some wise men in the game was that you steered away from the problem. You went to another area. And all of a sudden, the pitcher forgot about what the original problem was, you know, or you had a – or I would, I would make up something a lot of times. You know, I had a one pitcher that was struggling with a changeup. And I said, oh, my golly, that's my fault. I said, I, I didn't see your little finger. It's too high on the ball, and that changeup's com coming out of the side of your hand. So he looked at the grip and he did it through the change up on the next pitch and it, he, it worked like a charm. He said, he says, there it is, Leo. I said, yep, you got it. And you know what? That finger was in the same place. <laughs> so it, it gets back to being a psychologist and it gets back to uh, uh, giving somebody support and help when, when, uh, uh, when they need it. I've seen a lot of colleges and I ain't going to name the men mention who they are where I've been told that once a kid, kid's going good, it's rah, 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 they're talking to you, hello, pat on the back. But when they're going bad, when they're going bad, they flip you out to, to the bullpen or don't talk to you anymore. Uh, so, so, Leo, I guess uh, it, it just kind of confirms some of those great scenes that we saw in, in the movie Bull Durham where they go out to the mound and they're talking about anything but baseball with, with Newt Lelouch. Uh, there's there's a modicum of truth to that sometimes. Anything to get the guy's mind off of the struggles that are happening. Well, yeah, it, it is. I mean, I mean that's that's a little bit dramatized, you know, as far as uh -huh. Durham. But I'll tell you what, it's one of the closest movies I've ever seen to real life in the minor leagues. Uh, Brett, let me see who asked the question here before I lose it. Uh, Tyler wants to know. If you can give us any updates on the uh, fifth-year eligibility for the seniors and what that may look like for the Furman roster. Are you even in a position to talk about that right now? Yeah, so, you know, it, it appears as though they're going to let give guys that fifth year back. Um, you know, th that doesn't fix everything. And I, I understand why they did it and, and the intent behind it uh, is, is right. Of, of course, for every situation, it's going to mean something different. You know, we bring in our guys to graduate them and graduate them on time. Um, so it was definitely not a fix-all for, for Furman's 11 seniors. Uh, we are going to bring four of them back. Um, three of them are just going to slow down graduation by one class. One of them is actually going to graduate and just take post-grad um, classes. But without, without having many opportunities for grad school at Furman, 
it's not an easy transition for Furman athletes in particular. And we say that in a very proud way. We want our guys to graduate and graduate on time. Um, so, you know, guys are seeking opportunities elsewhere. Of course, you know, two of our standout seniors, John Michael Bertrand, uh, had a fifth year before this happened. And he was going to play at Notre Dame uh, and go to grad school at Notre Dame. That was set up long before uh, this all happened. And then David Webble um, is going to go play at uh, Creighton next year. Um, and that was set up before this happened as well. And we'll see that occasionally where, you know, maybe their freshman year, maybe there was an injury or something and they got a year back. And with our limited grad school, our guys end up going and playing. Um, so you're going to see some of our guys, obviously more guys are in the transfer portal than normal. And that's not a negative thing. That means that they, they graduated and they did their job at Furman and I'm happy to make phone calls for them and, and try to get them more opportunities. And then a lot of our guys are just going on to the real world. They have, uh, job set up. They have uh, amazing opportunities. And this is kind of the end of the road for baseball. Uh, it, it has kind of turned into the Wild West, though. You know, it's with all these transfers and my phone is constantly blowing up and my inbox is constantly blowing up on people looking to transfer. And uh, it, it's gotten a little crazy in, in college baseball. And, you know, it's with the 35 man roster, what does that mean? Because your you're seniors that are coming back don't add to that 35 man. So if you have seven seniors coming back and you had a full 35 man team coming in, you could go up against a team that's got 42 guys next year or 45 guys next year. So at least for one year, college baseball is going to be absolutely insane. I think it's going to start tearing down after that, but I think next year is going to be a very interesting year for college baseball. Leo, the uh, inevitable Ken Pettis wants to know what major league baseball hitters would hit if they knew what was coming from the mound. Well, you know, there's a lot of guys that wanted to know what was coming and a lot of guys that didn't. Uh, uh, I know David Justice did not want to know what was coming, you know, and uh, uh, and I think that uh, you know, the greatest hitter I've ever seen is Barry Bonds. There's no question about it because he could read the spin out of a pitcher's hand earlier than anybody in the history of the game besides Ted Williams. Um, so some guys like it, some guys don't. Now, I, what happened with the, the scandal was uh, uh, too much, too much technology involved. You know, we, there's, there's times when, you know, you can you know, try to give location from second base, or you try to uh, see the rhythm of a, of, a, of a coach at third and see if, you could, if he changes his rhythm when there's something on. You know, and there's stuff like that that's going on in the game for a long time. Um, we knew that when we played in the World Series in Minnesota, that when we were hitting, the, the flags were blowing in, and when the Twins were hitting, they were, they were the flags were straight down. <laughs> we couldn't air condition in the, in, the, in the Metrodome. But, you know, and then you laugh about it, and, and, and that's part of what the game was all about. But this is taking it to a whole nother level. And uh, – uh, I'm glad that they took care of it. I don't think there should be any more punishments on it. If you, when the rules are in place, it's like the steroid era. There was no rules in place. Now there's rules in place. Okay. For the technology, there was no rules in place. Now there's rules in place. And that's, and that's how you, that's how you take care of stuff like that. But if there's no rules in place, you know, it's, you know, it's game on, you know, I remember, never forget. Uh, we were playing the giants in the playoffs and Barry Bonds, Got on first base off of Maddox and stole second after Bonds got a base hit. And Maddox goes to me, he goes, well, Leo, he said, I guess all bets are off. I said, what, what do you mean? He goes, what was the deal? He goes, if I walk him, he said he was stealing second. He said, but if I pitched to him, he wouldn't run. He said, but this is the playoffs. He said he ran after I pitched to him and he got a base hit. He said, I guess all bets are off. <laughs> Leo, I'll start this next question with you and, and then get uh, both Brett and, and Caleb to uh, hop on it as well. But uh, Dan wants to know, another Dan, what's your biggest frustration with the state of youth slash travel baseball today? Well, I think the, I think the biggest thing is, is uh, and I have to look at it from a pitcher's point of view, is I am sick of the term velocity. And I'm sick of hearing about kids being told that they're not going to make a ball club unless they hit a certain number on a radar gun. So what's the individual going to do? He's going to try to jack it up and try to hit that number on the radar gun, which raises the risk of arm injury 
and I was up in New York with Tommy John himself and, and Dr. Ahmad from the Yankees. 52% of Tommy Johns are now 19 years of age and under. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing a lot of competitive, uh, throwing a baseball year-round, but competitive baseball has to be – you got to be real careful how long you go when you're just developing your arm as a, as a youngster. There's nothing wrong with throwing it year-round, but there's something wrong with being competitive year-round. You should play other sports, other sports, not just one sport. When that sport's over, you go to the next one and, vice, and on and on. But the term velocity is something that I can't stand. And, when you, and I can tell all you people out there right now, when you watch a Major League Baseball game, whatever number they say is on that velocity number, subtract five. If somebody says they're throwing 95, they're throwing 90. If it's a, you know, and just subtract five because they do not time it coming across home plate anymore. They time it coming out of the pitcher's hand. So subtract five. But this velocity yeah. thing, throwing as hard as you can, you know, it's just like Coach Harker, Coach Davis said, all these kids are blowing out. And they blow out in the big leagues too. You know why? We based all our programs, and Furman does too, on throwing more often with less exertion. <laughs> The teams that blow out and the pitchers that blow out, they throw less often, which is with as much exertion as you possibly can have. So the, the big beef I got about travel baseball is not with the kids. It's with coaches and what they teach these kids. Some of them should not be coaching. Dan, it took you 42 minutes, but you got Leo <laughs> riled up right now. Uh, you know, I was just going to say, I wish he'd quit holding back and tell us how he really feels. I'm starting to rock. And, I, and I'm watching the entire the entire Furman coaching staff is on the same line. I knew it. I and, knew that it was and, coming. And, right and they're the all nodding their heads. If this were a church service, Brett would be ready to pass the plate right now. <laughs> Dan, I, I would say one of my biggest knocks, and you have to understand, I think there's a lot of positives that come out of travel baseball. In particular, I mean, we're lucky. It's in Atlanta, Georgia. We take a short trip down there, and we can see several players instead of, driving all over the country and maybe a kid gets one or two at bats or, or a pitcher has a bad outing and you just drove for eight hours to do it. Well, now we drive 30 minutes to the next field and can see another arm. So there's a ton of benefits to it. I would say my biggest knock on it, and I think all coaches across all sports would tell you, is that uh, it's the lack of knowing how to actually win the game instead of playing in a showcase setting. So everything is showcase, showcase, showcase. And, you know, when, back when, you, when it was so built around high school baseball or Legion ball, you were playing for your high school, you were playing for your region, and you were trying to win a championship. Well, in order to win championships, you got to know the game. you got to know how to hit cuts and relays. you got to know how to bunt and get guys over. you got to know how to hit and run. It's not just how hard can you throw, how far can you hit it. And those things, you know, you get to college, and it's back to you need to win and whatever it takes. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, uh, do I love home runs? Yep. Do I love pitchers that throw hard? Yep. Do I love hitting runs? Yes. Do I love bunting? If that's what we need to do. And the bottom line is you got to do what your team needs to do to win. And from year to year, that might change. If you're a team that doesn't have as much power and you need to move guys station to station, you got to be better at bunting. You got to be better at hitting runs. And these are things that are just really not taught as much in travel ball. Are they taught? Of course they are. But are they taught? A lot as a whole, probably not as much as they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And that will be one of my biggest gripes is teaching kids how to win. It's not all about them. Sometimes sacrificing yourself for the team uh, is better. And, and I will tell you, you know, people have different philosophies. Don't ever give up an out. Uh, you know, why you got 27 outs, why are you giving one up? Uh, you look across college baseball and you pull up your top 25 and you pull up their sacrifice bunts, their sacrifice flies. Uh, they're doing whatever it takes to win. And typically, you know, I was on the two winningest SOCON teams in the history of baseball uh, at College of Charleston in 2004 and 2005. We led the nation in sacrifice bunts those two years. Does that mean that you have to sacrifice bunt to win? No, but those particular teams, we made it our strong point, and it was whatever it took to win when sometimes travel baseball makes it to where uh, you know, what did I do today? Did I, how many extra base hits did I have? Which is great. That can help your team win too. But did you, do you know how to do the little things when the competition gets better, when every 90 feet counts? Caleb Patterson asks, this goes back to the throwing program, wants to know how many times off of the mound a pitcher will get uh, in, a, in a week or 
and maybe even compiling it for a, a season. Say if he starts on Friday, how many times will he throw off the mound in bullpen sessions between starts? So yeah, that, so that's that, actually that's going to vary between these two conversations because we're our guys pitch once a week. So if they're Friday, they be pitching again next Friday. With Leo, their guys will be pitching on that fifth day after it. So I think it's kind of interesting to see the difference between the college uh, rotation and the pro rotation with Coach Davis and Coach Mazzoni. We'll start with Caleb, and then we'll let Leo answer from the pro standpoint. Caleb. Yeah. So so with us, you know, all of our starters are going to throw in between starts twice a week. So, uh, you know, and I got this from Leo. So what I would do with, with any starter is ask them first, how many days off do you want before your start? One day or two. So if, for example, you know, John Michael Bertrand wanted, wanted two days off. So he would start on Friday. He would throw a pin on Sunday, off on Monday, throw a pin on Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, start Friday. And, of course, when I say off, I, I mean – not throwing off the mound doesn't mean he's not throwing a baseball it just means he's not throwing off the mound um and it would have some guys rob hughes would, would sometimes want one day off so start on friday bullpen on sunday off monday tuesday throw bullpen wednesday off thursday start friday so you know some of our guys it would just depend do you want you know that extra day between your two pins or do you want that extra day before your start and then and then with relievers, uh, again, this comes from Leo. We never go more than two days without being off the mound. Uh, and it doesn't even matter if it's a game day. We have, heck, I'd say 75% of our guys that throw, you know, in a game on a Friday in relief, probably through a bullpen three and a half hours before the game ever started. Um, so, you know, our guys are throwing nonstop. And then the, the amount that a guy is off the mound is going to vary to the individual, especially out, out of the bullpen. We have one guy, Jordan Beetson. Um, if we let him, he would throw a bullpen every single day. Uh, and it's, you know, not an exact, he would throw seven bullpens. It, it just, that's, he wants to throw all the time. And, you know, to be completely honest with you, there's times we've let him throw four, five, X, sometimes six. But, you know, a bullpen, I think a lot of times people think, well, this is 35, 40 pitches. We, we don't, you know, one of Jordan Beetson's bullpen may last 12 pitches. You know, he just wants to get on the mound, spin the fastball both sides of the plate, flip the breaking ball in there, feel good about it, go sit in the dugout, you know. And there may be times where he throws a little more extensive bullpen and, you know, we're still dialing back his effort, but he gets his work in. So, you know, that's going to vary from all of our relievers. But when it comes to a starter, those guys are always going to throw twice in between their starts. It's just a matter of what the timing looks like depending on when they want that additional day. So, Leo, with your big league rotations pitching every fifth day, how often were your starters on the mound between starts? Uh, we were on the mound twice in between starts. Uh, the two middle days, they would pitch, then take a day off, then side, side, off and pitch. And, uh, you know, it got and it was a nice routine. A lot of times, Glavin wanted to throw uh, two sessions, but the second session, he wanted to do it the, like the day before he was getting ready to start. But they all got on the, on the mound a couple of times, you know, and – what, what we did, though, was we had, once again, that we regulated the effort. And, and, and that's basically what Caleb's doing is the same thing. And I love the idea about the relievers because, you know, I had one, one baseball executive tell me one time I was working with a reliever down in the bullpen before the game. And he said, what are you doing? Were you working with so-and-so down in the bullpen? I said, yeah. He goes, well, he might get in the game tonight. I said, well, that's what we're preparing him for. So he does get in the game. You know, because when does a reliever ever get the same amount of attention from his pitching coach? They never do if you think about it over a full year, you know. And you, you have to get to give this – you have to give your number 11 guy the same amount of attention as you give your number one guy. And what they're doing too is if you give them – you get them on the mound a couple of times in between and you give the pitcher the option and the way the college game is set up, I think they've set it up just – they're accomplishing the same thing. Guys want it. You encourage guys to get on the mound. You don't say, oh, no, don't, don't throw today. You know, there's only so many bullets. That's a bunch of crap, you know. There, there, there are plenty of bullets. Guys pitch for years, you know, years and years and years without, and without breaking down. Well, they seem to be doing something right. But today's, today's game is if you're not careful, especially in the pitching end of it, well, the Coach Harker says too, it's how hard you can throw it how far you can hit it. And to me, that's where baseball is making a huge mistake, especially with youth baseball and especially with pitchers' arms 
graduating from uh, from high school, they're 17 and 18. They got an elbow of a 30-year-old. We've got uh, about eight or nine minutes left, so we're going to try to wrap it up at one o'clock. And uh, we really appreciate Leo, along with uh, Brad and, and Caleb, and and all of you who have uh, joined us here on this uh, Furman Lunch and Learn today. Uh, by the way, the poll winner uh, was Greg Maddox, uh, the the of the Big Three Cy Young Award winners that Leo coached. Who would you want to pitch one game you had to win? Uh, our People online here chose Greg Maddox. All right, Leo, I'm putting you on the spot. Well, I think, I think I think the the the, the game sevens and and uh, all the big games that we had in the postseason, uh, John Smoltz's numbers were out, absolutely outstanding. He was the biggest big game pitcher. Uh, uh, that, that doesn't mean now that Maddox and Glebin weren't good. I mean, Maddox, if you just watched on TV recently, they put a game up against. When he beat Cleveland three to two in Game One of the World Series, one of the greatest pitching games I've ever seen. Glavin beats Cleveland one to nothing. Smoltz's numbers in postseason are uh, absolutely uh, phenomenal. Yeah, and that's who I voted for, by the way. You can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> uh, Brett, uh, Tom wants to know how Furman pitchers are working out during the campus shutdown. You know, we're, we're doing as much as we can, just like anybody else. This is this is a really, really strange time for coaches because even if you send home workouts, it's all going to depend on what they have available. We have guys getting very, very creative. Um, the good news is a, a set of bands to do arm care is 20 bucks, and they're still shipping those out, so we can still make sure that we're getting our arm care in. And, of course, the Bernardis are doing a great job of sending out different workouts and and uh, and making sure that they're able to do body weight stuff. As far as throwing, you know, we said when we broke, um, I said take your equipment because at that point our, our season was not canceled. It was postponed. Um, we said take your equipment and, and do as much as you can. That might be, you know, playing catch at your local high school until you can't anymore. That might be playing catch in the backyard with your dad, or that might be setting up a tarp and throwing into it. Uh, society and the government will tell us what we can and can't do, and, you know, our guys are spread out all over the country and different places are obviously a lot more tight about um, about their regulations than others are. So some guys are still able to get working and some guys, you know, are having a hard time even leaving their uh, their houses. And, you know, for a while we were really getting them prepared for summer baseball and trying to make sure we get our innings in there. And it seems like every time I get on Twitter, uh, another league has just canceled the Cape Cod League, which is our famous, you know, the best league in college baseball just canceled. And that's a really, really big deal. I think that's going to basically be the first of all of them to come. So it's, it's going to be tricky, you know, and our big thing is we, we need our guys to play. So we need our freshmen to not be freshmen next year, even though they only got in 16, 17 games. We need them to develop. And, and uh, that means it's going to put that much more pressure on us developing them in the fall. I want to I want to do something a little off script here. I want to unmute Taylor Harbin for just a moment. Uh, we've been talking pitching this entire time, so he probably wants a little bit of time for rebuttal. Uh, and and Taylor, we actually got a question from Brandon Elmy, former Paladin, who's wanting right. to know if we talked anything about hitting an approach yet, which we haven't. So I'm I'm going to let you do that here for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I mean, obviously from our end, um, with Coach Cox and I from the hitting side of it, um, our biggest thing has definitely been the approach side and the mental aspect of it. Um, you know, Coach Harker talked a lot about with the summer ball about guys coming in and seeing how far we can hit it and the home run and the wow factor. And, you know, just teaching some of these guys the fundamentals, um, you know, has been one of the biggest things we've tried to put an emphasis on. But for a lot of young hitters, you know, stuff I had to learn further down the road that if I would have known when I was in high school, you know, might have helped me out even more was just, you know, your mental approach to the game, especially when you get in the box. Uh, having the confidence uh, in yourself, the confidence in your skill set, because I tell our guys all the time, we watch video and, you know, we talk about mechanics and stuff, but if you watch video and you're trying to find a flaw in your swing, you can do it. I mean, if you sit there long enough, you're going to find a problem that you're going to try to fix, where a lot of our guys, mechanics is not the issue. Um, so a lot of the video stuff we use is more of, 
you know, pitch selection. Uh, you know, what are you swinging at? Are you swinging at balls? Are you swinging at the pitches in your zone that are your strengths? Um, you know, what are you looking for when you're going to the plate? Are you looking for a specific pitch? So getting kids to understand that has been, you know, the biggest thing for us as a offensive unit with Coach Cox and I because everybody wants to get up there and everybody thinks that they can get a hit every single time. And if they don't, then they've had a bad game where, you know, you have to just take it at bat, at bat to at bat, you know, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. But the biggest thing is having confidence in yourself to get the job done when you're at the plate. So being able to have those guys understand that when they're 17 and 18 year old coming in, it has been a battle, but a lot of our guys have bought into it. We're starting to see them, you know, make that turn and, and kind of grow up a little bit. That's great, Taylor. I'm glad that you were available to answer that because the only thing Brett and Caleb know about hitting is that they can't. So when it was nice to have you there. Leo, what kind of hitter were you as a pitcher in the minor leagues? I was used as a pit, pitch hitter seven times my first year. I was one for seven pinch hitting my first uh, year in the minor leagues. I could hit. I just couldn't I couldn't run and I wasn't very big. You know, it couldn't hit for any power, but I could I could I could bunt and put the ball in play. And I remember listening uh, to, to the late Joe Nuxall on the Reds broadcast for years and he always talked about how, you know, a pitcher could go out and throw out a shutout, but if he got a base hit he was gonna talk about that hit more than he did on the mound. How, how were how were the Braves pitchers when it came to hitting? Were they that way? Well, absolutely. They used to have, they used to have money bet on who was going to get the most hits, who was going to hit have the most total bases, you know, stuff like that. And uh, and one thing all of them could do, though, man, they could bunt. They were very good bunters, and uh, you know, they just weren't an automatic swing and a miss. Except the one guy that they said they feared more than anybody when they had to get up to the plate and square around and bunt, and it was against Kevin Brown. He said they said it got a little shaky up there with that with him out on the mound. Well, we are right up against the clock. Uh, by the way, Taylor, we had somebody, Todd, said, go Devil Dogs. So we're still looking for your statue there in Traveler's Rest. I uh, want to thank uh, Brett Harker, Caleb Davis, Leo Mazzoni for uh, joining us for this Lunch and Learn. Brett, uh, you, you want the final word here? No, we just, you know, we appreciate you guys joining, uh, helping us build our brand and we think that, you know, our student athletes, there's many coaches out there, Furman coaches, I see your faces, you're doing the same thing. And uh, I think we have an incredible community. Our student athletes do it the right way. Our university does it the right way. And I think this is a great way to help spread our brand, get to know our program a little bit better. Uh, and in this particular case, you guys just get to enjoy Leo like we do. What a great, what a great uh, addition to our, to our Furman family. Leo, I thank you so much, brother. You're officially a Zoom expert now. You can text me back. If you can Zoom, you can text now, Leo. Uh, so, hey, I just, I, just want, I just want you and Caleb to know before I turn it over to Ty Osborne that, you know, you all were worried about whether he was going to be able to pull this off. He was on and waiting before either of you got here. I love it. So, Ty, Ty he, Osborne. He, he, logged on at, he logged on at 930 this morning. <laughs> That's great. Leo, thank you. Caleb, thank you. Everybody, thank you. Ty? So there you have it. Wasn't that fun? Isn't Leo Mazzoni just, just incredible? Uh, what a great time we had doing that Lunch and Learn uh, via Zoom for Furman University earlier this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Kind of a unique presentation of our podcast today, but something that I thought that you would really enjoy getting that kind of insight from really three great pitching minds. Uh, but uh, Leo, obviously, with those credentials, including a world championship behind him, uh, you, you want to listen when that guy talks pitching. And we, we could do that all day long. But uh, we thank him and thank uh, Furman for allowing us to use this on this edition of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I'll remind you one more time that if you have any uh, questions or comments, criticisms, guests you'd like us to get, shoot me an email, thedanscottshow at gmail.com, thedanscottshow at gmail.com. And we're brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza, T-O-D-A-R-O Pizza.com, Todaropizza.com. Find out what they're doing and how you can still take part in that great pizza experience despite the shutdown. You can find out all that info at the website. 
We'll be back next week with the full crew, and uh, we expect to have another very special guest probably taking a detour out of the world of baseball into some college football. That's all I'll tell you at the moment. But uh, Cobb and Tom and Dory should all be with me, and we look forward to having you on board with us next time out. This has been Episode 8 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, and for the entire crew, I'm Dan Scott, as always, saying God bless you, and so long, everybody.